0: Hi, I'm Elise.
1: I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series.
0: This week, we're talking about Season 4, Episode 4, Hippocratic Oath, teleplay by Lisa Klink and directed by Renée Abergenois. This episode aired on October 16th, 1995.
1: This week on Deep Space Nine... Bashir tries to help members of a Jem'Hadar unit free themselves of their addiction to the drug the founders used to control them, Ketracel White. Meanwhile, Worf tries to adjust to life aboard Deep Space Nine. Well, folks, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem, it's me. Obviously, you'll, you'll hear this in a regular amount of time after we post the episodes we recorded before I moved. But I have moved, so we're hoping to get back on a more more regular schedule after the long hiatus. But also because I've moved, I seem to have misplaced the cord for my higher-end podcast mic. So I am using a janky mic with my janky headset right now. You're so janky. So apologies. <laughs> I'm so janky. No jank at all. Um, So I'm so sorry for the shoddy audio this week or what I anticipate to be the shoddy audio this week. Hopefully I will find the chord soon.
0: For some reason, the way you said shoddy, it just made me think of like, what's that song that's like body yaddy yaddy, like shoddy yaddy yaddy. I don't know why. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Brains. Brains. Alright, Elise. Speaking of brains, yes. did
0: your brain remember this episode? Um, no, I did not. But I do remember it from watching it three months ago in preparation for podcasting about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, drag So me, I just drag wanna me. I just
0: want to alert the listeners that I was also very busy the last few months, so it's definitely not on matt that we haven't recorded (laughs) it's on both of us we've been really busy uh living our lives and i'm really glad we're back to this but also you know it's been a good few months i think good changes
1: turn and face the strength
0: isn't that what we're doing when we're watching star trek
1: i mean from a certain point of view (laughs) if i can quote the other major no you're not allowed to (laughs) Oh, oh, okay. No, sorry,
0: I'll take it back. <laughs> so when I rewatched this episode this morning, it was with my mother, who we all know is how I got into Deep Space I your mother. Nine. And she literally was like, sorry, you need to credit me with getting you into Deep Space Nine. And I was like, mom, that is fully on record. All of our listeners know. Well, if you've listened to our preview or our first episode, you will know. So my mom... Is an attention whore apparently, and needs everyone to know again that she got me into Star Trek. But she also—oh, now
1: I know where you get it from.
0: (laughs) I made like a face just now, but like no one saw it. It was like a who me face. Does
1: (laughs) does does Marcy even listen to the podcast? Well, will she hear? No, she will hear. (laughs) she, She
0: will hear none of this, and that's probably for the best. For all of us. Um, but she did say um, she loves how Bashir and O'Brien's bromance blooms. Yes, my mother, who is 70 years old, used the word bromance this morning.
1: Yeah, so we, we should have Marcy on for a very special episode, and we discuss all the ships she likes. We'll introduce her to the concept of shipping, and then we'll ask her what ship she
0: likes. If she's going to come on any episode, I really think it should be Trials and Tribulations, but we should still talk to her about all of that.
1: Well, I mean there's you can get some spurk stuff you can, that's yeah, true, well, but I also go. think
0: like that's both mine and her favorite episode, so I think you'll just have like two excited ladies on your hands. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe we'll just do
0: that for a second no like you're you're not wrong <laughs> um, this was a fun like ethical conversation episode i we always love those. um I was reading up on the premise of this episode and originally O'Brien was to side with the alien species and Bashir against and I just think this episode would not have worked that way at all um it makes much more sense this way if it was like O'Brien and then like everybody else was on the other side I think it'd be fine like for example In the episode, Tosk, like he had like more empathy for that character than everybody else. He kind of like adopted him. But Bashir is always going to be empathetic with someone, regardless of his Starfleet training as a doctor, as the Jem'Hadar claim. Like, I just think that's the type of person Bashir is. Not that O'Brien isn't, but he thinks differently based on his longer experience, probably also just in Starfleet in general.
1: Yeah, and like I think specifically during like the border conflict with the Cardassians and like specifically, um, set the siege or whatever it was of set like three I think mm-hmm. it was. That was like one of the main things that in the kind of the core of the ethical dilemma or like the character conflict between Miles and Jillian was the ways in which they don't have dissimilar values, but their the values that they do have were a little bit bit in conflict and i think a lot of it that was informed by miles his experiences and julian's you know informed by julian's experience etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's like really interesting because it's like miles isn't being a malicious space racist like you can against the kardashian right. sometimes but like like there's there are elements of those parts of his personality but like he is doing what he thinks is right for his friend, right? He's like trying to like, at the same time, kind of from his perception, save his, his friend from himself. And it's interesting too, that you mentioned that, um, and they kind of merged one of two like story ideas together with this one being like the alien world, the one being the gem the hadar, um, White, which gets name checked for the first time. Um, and it's really hard. It makes me wonder what the idea of the conflict was that like Bashir was gonna not side the aliens I don't yeah, it was, but I guess then that being said, you mentioned um the tosk situation, and like I guess that would be a, a version of that as well. so
0: I also that came to mind because the actor that plays the main Jim hadar guy that they're dealing with, um Goran Agar, is actually played by the same actor that played tosk, so. I kind of thought about, I mean, I, I, I'll i be honest, I thought about that, I think about the, O'Brien and Tosk all the time, but it didn't, I didn't think of comparing them until I read that it was the same actor.
1: Well, yeah, and it's even like interesting when you think about it, like how the, the Tosk, and I think we talked about this a little bit back in season one, are, you know, genetically engineered to be a part of the the hunt with the hunters. Right. And you can even, and there's some like, I don't know if this is like beta canon and like the literary verse or just people commenting on it, but the way that like the makeup for the hunters and the ta- and Tosk is kind of similar in the same vein as the, the yeah. Hadar makeup. So you could even say that, that like the Tosk could have been a gift to the hunters that was genetically modified.
0: Right. Like almost like a proto Hadar or something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or similar, but legally. Distinct. No, I
0: totally, like, I know. can totally see that. Um, I also wanted to mention that while this is not a film I've seen, the producers referred to this story as the Bridge on the River Kwai episode. Um, and I said that to my mom when I was writing my notes and she was like, I could see that. <laughs> so she also <laughs> told me that I should watch that movie. So,
1: Yeah, it's also a monkey for for me. It's also on my yeah. Yeah, on my like to be watch yes. list. Um, we'll get around yeah,
0: to it eventually. I will
1: too. It's some some classic Alec
0: Guinness. Exactly. Sure. Um I also read that the aftermath of this disagreement between Bashir and O'Brien is actually um followed up by a short story. Um and I guess the book is called Prophecy and Change, but the actual stories called "Broken Oaths," and I was wondering if you'd heard of that or read it or anything like that.
1: I haven't. It's yeah. It's, I I looked it up. It's the collection. It's a collection of short stories that celebrated like the tenth for the tenth anniversary of Deep Space Nine. So that oh okay in two thousand and three. Right. Um. Yeah, definitely something probably worth worth seeking out. I have read. There's a collection like that of like short stories, novellas. Um. Of like Dominion War
0: stories. Oh, that one's, that's that interesting. One's
1: pretty big. Um, and I think that's from around the same.
0: The same oh, time that's so cool. But I
1: haven't read this specific one, but yeah, it's it's a lot of the like Trek, like if, if anyone's read any of the the Trek lit verse that just ended recently with the, the Dakota like trilogy um, that ran from like the early two thousands until like twenty 2020, twenty to twenty twenty one, um, which they had to kind of close because Picard was going. Ahead beyond in the, the timeline
0: right.
1: um but yeah it's a lot of those familiar i say familiar faces but yeah familiar names familiar authors who have been been writing in that so
0: yeah. Uh, speak- I can't say it's
1: worth checking out no, but I want for to check sure. it out <laughs> I do too.
0: Uh, Speaking of books actually before we move on um, while we were off for a few months I went on vacation not for the whole time <laughs> but for about a week <laughs> and I found this really cute bookstore in Luray, Virginia um, near Luray Caverns which is like 90ish minutes outside of DC and they had a really fun like Star Trek paperback section, and I picked up a few books, which I have not read yet, but one of them is The Novelization of Emissary, the pilot of Deep Space Nine. Um, it's written by J.M. Dillard, uh, based on Michael Pillar's um, teleplay. I am very excited to read that, and I will 100% be reporting back for the podcast on that one. Very related. And I also, I got a few books, but the second one I got is called *Tarak and it's like before the Dominion War, Cardas and the decimation of Cardassia. It's just it has Odo on the cover, so I'm just really excited. It's called A Saga of the Lost Era, so it's basically like pre Deep Space Nine, and it's by S. D. Perry and Britta Denison. I don't know their those people's names, but this takes place between 2360 and 2369. And I also got a novelization of the movie Star Trek Generations, which I'm very excited to read and I might actually like send to you after I read it. It has pictures from the making of the film in the middle of it.
1: I think I've read two of those. I think I I had the gen I've had the like, emissary novelization. Or maybe I that one I'm not so sure about. I know I have the caretaker. Avoid your power right. novelization but no i definitely have the generations one um
0: there's a so, picture I mean, of a... your girlfriends the dura sisters <laughs> in this book just so you know
1: i remember that picture <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's an, yeah there's a little boob window it's really exciting and i just have not been reading lately but those are like next on my plate for my physical books i'm always in an audiobook of various genres <laughs> So this episode actually had, you know, we had our pilot where Worf joins the cast, and then we have the next episode, The Visitor, which is very different format from from usual. And this episode kind of goes back to an A plot and a B plot, which I was very excited about.
1: Yeah. Before we get kind of a little bit more into that, which again, makes it easier to discuss in the format. <laughs> You're like, um, I hate
0: when they purposely don't do it so that our podcast is not as easy to do. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean all that all that thought in the <laughs> negotiation of how we're going to structure it. No, so this obviously aired after the episode we covered previously, the visitor. But originally, it was it was produced was going to be yes. produced before. I think
0: we might have um, mentioned this a little bit on the last episode, but we recorded that three months ago. So apologies if we're saying it again, but we're still going to say it again. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> yeah.
1: But here's, but, and, but, the, and then it shifted because of, um, calling yes, 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 yes. But what I don't think we talked about was that Renee Aubergenois yes. was supposed to direct The yes. Visitor, and then the director stayed when production shifted yes. around. So David Livingston, who directed The Visitor, was supposed to do this one, and renee I think, was a little, yeah. Maybe rightfully so, was a little, yeah. Changed, was a little
0: he fun. was like, I had the other script in my mind. I was not ready <laughs> to, like, switch gears. I I can imagine. I don't handle last-minute changes very well, so I probably would have had a hissy fit if I were him.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, like, you even think like, about how, like, again, Odo's in the B-plot of this episode and is, like, one of the major players in the B-plot. So it's, like, that would have probably been more difficult for Renee to both be in the episode as much as he is and direct it, whereas like there isn't a lot a lot of Odo in the the visitor. Yeah. Right? So
0: it would have been He would have had more time to focus. Probably got better mm-hmm.
1: work experience. Yeah. Being in the makeup chair for hours and hours while you're prepping your scenes as a director. Yeah.
0: And, and he actually so, like, like he actually like changed in this episode too. So it's not even just he wasn't just Odo, like he was he was gooey at, at different parts. So so there was a lot going on.
1: So, Elise, you are our resident Wharf stan, so how did you feel about Worf's first dedicated B-plot in a regular, not special TV movie edition of Star Trek Deep Space Nine?
0: I think that it was very important to show how Worf being on Deep Space Nine is going to be different than... Worf on Enterprise you know he's not in the security mm-hmm. role that he was in prior um, mm-hmm. he's been I, I feel like his job is like project manager kind of um, <laughs> and I think that it so besides the fact that it was important to show how Worf is going to be different I think it's important to show that how Deep Space Nine is different I mean Cisco goes on at the end of this episode explaining to Worf that they, because they're so far away from Starfleet, and they have the wormholes of the Gamma Quadrant, and they're dealing with species that who knew no one knew existed pr- previously. There's different rules, like you know, not to call it the Wild Wild West, but to go back to our uh, our frontier, our <laughs> frontier medicine wild, or whatever. Um, you know, there's things that are going to happen out here that may not be, you know, exactly. You might not be able to follow the rules as much, even if your intentions are are good. There are going to be hard choices. And I think A, it's always funny when Worf is like, okay, that's not your job. <laughs> like, you need to um calm down. But I also think it's fun when he like learns a lesson. So I really hope that he I don't remember a lot about Worf being on Deep Space Nine, to be honest, since I've only seen this show once, but I I'm so excited to see him interact with everybody. Um and I'm still rewatching TNG, so it's really fun to like watch both at the same time. I um I've made a lot of progress on my TNG rewatch and I am at the beginning of season 4 of that show as well. So, that's really been fun. I just re-met Worf's parents, his um human parents, and that's been wonderful. So, TLDR. I think Worf needed a lesson, so it's good.
1: And Elise likes when Worf learns a lesson, and Elise wants to give Worf <laughs> a lesson.
0: <too>. No comment. <laughs>
1: I mean, Cisco at the end in that last scene with Worf, and like I think too, like this episode in the Worf plot. I think you're 100 spot on. Like, if if it's it's a largely for new viewers who may have popped onto Deep Space Nine, having not given a chance before, but are now there because Worf is there mm-hmm. and explaining like DS Nine lives in the grave. Yeah, and that's something that comes up ad nauseum, kind of over the course of us us talking about the the podcast and everything else. But I think ultimately that's really one of the major factors that has allowed Deep Space Nine to endure um, as as much as it has, and uh, Jesse Earl or Jesse Gender on both YouTube and Twitter had a really good tweet I saw this weekend. Jesse's tweet was about how Lower Decks borrows from Deep Space Nine, but is very open about it and clear that it like that the creators like Deep Space Nine, whereas other modern Star Trek has lifted perhaps even more heavily from DS9, but doesn't acknowledge Got it, it and kind of keeps it as it's kind of like over there. That makes sense. Right? So that was, that was more yeah. or less the, the point of Jesse's tweet that I was over-explaining.
0: One thing I found interesting was kind of the separation of duties. Like, do, like I, I feel like some people would think, oh, Odo should have just told Worf what he was doing. But like, Odo's correct. He doesn't He doesn't report to him. Um, and I tend to sympathize with Worf in general because of how much I love him. But in this instance, I really don't think Odo owes him any information. Um, Odo's head of his own department, and it does not overlap with Worf's duties. And we do learn that Odo thought that Worf investigating the problem would have kind of been beneficial because it would kind of take some of the heat off of Odo potentially um, investigating. So the person would think, like, I don't know how sound that logic is. Um, but, I, I mean, on if Odo had said, hey, I got this under control, don't worry about it, which, he, I mean, he kind of did say that to him, but just not as, like, if he had said, I have a plan, I feel like Worf might have backed off, but then we wouldn't have had this fun lesson. So... <laughs> I will say the one unbelievable part of this whole plot is that Quark is acting as an arc against this smuggler guy. <laughs> but yeah.
1: I mean, Quark does what's best for for No, Quark, I, Quark, I do So, yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a real acquisition about it. <laughs> <laughs> Worf in this episode kind of reminded me of someone who's like a new hire that joins the team and has a wealth of experience in the the previous company or the previous team. And like, obviously that experience is why they're going to be an asset to this new job, but they are feeling insecure about the new environment. So it's like they over talk and try and be like, okay, well, we did this before when, you know, we're in the other place and blah, 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 blah. And is not like, you know, doing that same sort of like feeling out, it's like they're insecure. So they like say, you know, talk about things that not fully aware of the kind of more specific or like local context. And I think that's ultimately like the the lesson. Yeah. But it just, that was the the real world.
0: Yeah. Like someone who doesn't realize the work culture yet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So in our A plot, we have our two besties. Bashir O'Brien and some Jem'Hadar folks. The Gem Hadar, unfortunately, are not part of our besties for life. But you know, but I mean, maybe
1: they could have been <laughs> in another life, right? Like,
0: I just, uh, I just like, even though you said it in your your voice, as soon as you said "in another life," I thought of Desmond from Lost. In
1: another life, brother. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> But, like, I mean, jokes aside, it, it the episode is drawing parallels between um, how Garanagar. I think that's how you say it. Goranagar? Goranagar. Gurenag- Goranagar. 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 Goranagar
0: sounds like that would be, like, Gurenagar a villain. That would be, like, a historical villain on the show Bones, but I'm just saying that because they had, like, a multiple season thing about like a gorma gun. and so it got i got it in my head
1: but the ways in which Garanagar and julian have a similar approach to what a future could like look like with the Jemhadar um free of their the addiction that they're they're born with up to the catcher white and then ultimately you know this this undiscovered country this future (laughs) for them. and (laughs) please um and then i can't remember the set the jim hadar second's name but he's definitely more in the o'brien where it's all like i hate you you hate me blah 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 but like you know the opposite of the barney song you used to sing in school i don't know maybe you didn't sing it because you're
0: so i was too old for barney but that did not... I mean, I was no, not no. for
1: Barney, too, but not to No, that no, that no, no.
0: Knowledge. Let me finish. But that does not mean that, like, 12-year-old Elise and her friends... This was 1994, so, like, the height of Barney. We still knew all the songs and, like, all of that shit. But I think since we were 12, it was our... the first instance of liking something ironically for all of us. You know what I mean?
1: Yep. Yep, I follow.
0: Um. Unrelated... There is an amazing garlic smell that is happening in my house right now, and I don't, I don't know why or what is causing it, and it's like making me want to ditch you and the podcast to go find out, but I'm not going to. And I just texted the rest of the household to be like, "What's that amazing smell happening? Please tell me everything."
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, not that listeners were going to rush through the rest of this podcast, so at least. but
0: um oh no I was um informed that it is homemade teriyaki sauce being made and that I oh, also got a star I know emoji. What your
1: household having for dinner?
0: Yeah, it's actually going it's to be a... shrimp. You should come by.
1: Yeah, as as good as that sounds, um, I don't feel like paying for the two thousand.
0: Yeah, that's fair, <laughs> especially at this late late date. So we have two besties. And I love when O'Brien and Bashir are in this situation because they have extremely i mean don't get me wrong, there's still two white dudes that are from that are human, but they grew- they grew up and lived very differently i feel, and they've had different experiences and so they're going to have different opinions on this kind of to do what to do that didn't make sense but you know what i meant <laughs> no I, I
1: i i follow what you mean and like in like classic star trek fashion you have like the moral dilemma at the core of the eight plot of this episode but ultimately it's like both characters represented to me like the dueling um pillars or realities of the liberal like lowercase liberal like you know colonialist collective security, just of the Federation in general and that ideology, like the push and pull between Bashir's idealism and, you know, genuine desire to create change and make something better, versus the more milit slightly militaristic, like more of like um O'Brien's perspective in, in realism. And again, not being like super hawkish per se. Um but, you know, it's so the idea of, like, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar and, you know, this person will smoke the cigar. I don't know. I, the, I, that, that, that one doesn't make sense. <laughs> but, yeah, just kind of like the two the two solitudes of what the Federation or what Starfleet is in kind of conflict. there.
0: Yeah, I, I see that. And I also think that regardless of either of them being right or wrong, there there is something to be said about The fact that they are not alone so julian's decision to help them and o'brien's decision to not help them like affects the other one so julian can help them all he wants but o'brien is like i don't want to be stuck here dealing with this and o'brien could be like trash in the trash in the place and escaping and julian's like I don't know why I keep calling him Julian and <laughs> him O'Brien but this is where we're at. Um and I just feel like it's interesting because Julian I think is being very selfless in this regard like he's not thinking of his own safety he's also not thinking of O'Brien's safety. Um he wants to help them. He's a doctor and O'Brien's like only thinking about their safety. And so it's really interesting on the fact that there's also have different motivations as well.
1: Yeah.
0: I guess we didn't really say, but the gem We had talked about this previous, but there was a drug, which we now have a name for it, that the Vorta and the Dominion are controlling use of, and the Gemhadar are addicted to it, except this one guy, Garan Agar, who is not addicted to it, and he wants his the rest of his crew to be like him and be over this issue.
1: It's just like... So interesting I me because, like, I can see an episode, and I think there even might be an early TNG one, one of the ones that that um maybe it's a season. Yeah, one I one I watched planet. that one recently
0: with the mm-hmm. yeah the
1: one with with Merrick Butcher who plays David Marcus in Star Trek Two, where the one planet controls the drug yes. supply and is purposely keeping the other planet like addicted to it, and the ways in which you know the
0: Federation then like you know
1: do they involved? Do they get involved and Again, I, I think they
0: get well involved Picard and, and Bev- planet, Picard they? and Doctor Crusher have very different ideas about what they should be doing. Picard thinks that they yeah. should not be involved, and Beverly's like, "This is really wrong." Yeah, and it's basically it's a little bit more of a Prime Directive, not Prime Directive conversation. I think in TNG than it is here, but I think yeah. it's, it's very well, similar.
1: So then, how remind me again? Like, how does that? The, the dilemma in that episode and does Bev like go against Picard's wishes and like give them a cure or do they just leave
0: I you'd think since I watched that episode recently I'd remember but I think that I think Beverly like does what she wants but I don't remember entirely
1: oh yeah not great Star Trek um in the cargo are uh, spoilers for this episode in season one of TNG but um Picard repairs the ship. And says that they can leave with the the medication, the drug. But he doesn't repair... He says they won't repair the ships again. Says some prime directive mumbo-jumbo. And basically, the shipments will stop. The planet that's addicted will go through severe withdrawal. And think they are dying. However, they're basically... Picard's basically making them quit cold turkey. Oh my god, that's
0: terrible. So that's horrible. Um, tell me your episode was.
1: Ri- tell me your episode was written in the eighties. Yeah, seriously, in the eighties. There's um, like
0: literally zero compassion in that. Um, I do think it's interesting that wasn't the issue in that episode that like payment hadn't gotten through yet as well. So he basically gives them one last line of their drugs for free I guess and then just like cuts it off I don't know it's very yeah
1: not great Bob no. um but no I just didn't see where it's like that's that's like actually probably the most like Starfleet as a liberal like <laughs> colonial like imperial power Look, helping. to like take that <laughs> to, take, to take that approach as opposed to the approach that that's in, in this episode
0: mm-hmm. um which is also different from the like even more humane approach of like okay we're going to let people do their drugs here supervised where we can take care of them.
1: Yeah, we. This is a pro harm reduction podcast.
0: <laughs> it is.
1: It it also were like and again now I'm thinking of all these classic like structural yeah. dilemma episodes where it reminded me a little bit of he, I bore as well like the first episode next that introduces. Q, and, like, they decide to make him a weapon and send him back to the, the right, don't
0: I don't think it. I'm I
1: and mean, as he develops his individuality, but uh, I
0: don't think I'm up to that yet yeah, no, that's, that's, in season like that's season five, it's six, in season it's, five, like, towards yeah. the end of season five. Oh, it was ri- yeah. written by one of our faves, Rene Echeverria there we go there
1: we go, um anyways, back to, back to Deep Space, I mean, the whole point in bringing up symbiosis was the idea which, like have the episode it's informed it and like again that's much more of a prime directive episode right. but like the point I was like I think trying to make was like if the Jem'Hadar weren't genetically engineered soldiers of the Dominion and they had asked for because they're not capable species so the prime directive wouldn't apply if they had asked Darkly for help in a different episode with the conditions slightly changed I don't think the episode would have picked Bashir's perspective as opposed to Oprah's right? Right, and it's just interesting to me the ways in which collect the fears of of collective sec- again of the collective security or like fears of the Dominion as an enemy throws out the desire to help out the window, right?
0: I felt again, yeah,
1: Deep Space Nine, Shades of mm-hmm. Grey,
0: but I I felt this was in the episode. Of symbiosis, I was very clearly on Beverly's side. Like that seemed really obvious to me, and it's because the physical safety of Enterprise was not at risk, I guess. Um, yeah. And this is a little bit more gray, as we all agree that Deep Space Nine is, because I I very much saw Bashir's side and O'Brien's side here. Um, so that was. I really liked that. I I kind of saw where both of them were coming from.
1: Yeah. Fair enough.
0: I just mean from, like, from O'Brien, like, from, like, a personal safety, like, he was like, "What if they asked us, that would be something different, you know? But at the same time, you know, if someone's your enemy and you don't know how they're going to react if you ask them for help. Yeah. Do you think that... I keep thinking about how Julian is never going to, like, tell on O'Brien for going against his orders. And, like, that's just not the kind of person he is. And that felt really fitting to me. Especially since they're such close friends. And I don't think... I'm curious about how their report is written up. Because they specifically say at the beginning of the episode that they're going to get home two days early. So, like, no one was even out looking for them this whole time. Because they were done with their survey or whatever they were doing prior um early yeah like was this only two days or was this longer like i just (laughs) i don't know it's just kind of funny i don't mean like it's yeah it's funny to me that the rest of the crew like wasn't looking for them i i find that like a amusing little tidbit
1: well they're too busy uh giving large orientation too. <laughs> space nine <laughs> he's getting um, his
0: like um, Melrose Place handbook or whatever
1: <laughs> there you go there you go yeah I guess they probably got together on the way back you know kind of like Marty and Rust after the, the big shootout in the middle of True Detective and they get their story straight
0: <laughs> that's funny I do like that at the end of the episode, they were supposed to play darts. And <laughs> Julian's just like, maybe in a few days. Like, he's so hopeful.
1: Yeah, that, that that was an interesting way to close the episode in that story. Like, on that, that bittersweet note, but the idea that, like, they can get past this. It just might
0: take a little this bit. Isn't like yeah.
1: An irreparable thing in their, their friendship.
0: Yeah, I, like, I I feel that because I, you know, we don't always agree with our friends. Um, It's not often something this serious uh, revol- involving the health of another species. But it is interesting to have a disagreement and to be able to come around it and, you know, either agree to disagree or realize that, you know, you're both going to have, you're going to get through it. Yeah, it's just interesting, and
1: I don't want to necessarily go too, too far down this road and, like, overthink the episode, but it's, like, is this something you should be able to get over? Like, I don't, like, you know what I mean? Like, again, like, I agree with you, and, like, I like it for, like, you know, the series going forward, because like, I, like, I like these two characters together. It's just, like, I don't know, I wonder how much time it'll take. Again, it'll take a week, because it's Star Trek, but, you know what yes. I mean? <laughs> like,
0: I don't know what the next episode is, but I will be amused to analyze uh, Bashir and O'Brien and (sighs) if they uh, interact with each other.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Was there anything else you wanted to chat about in the B plot or the A plot, I should say? No,
0: I just, in general, um, I just want to say I'm happy. I'm happy we're back. That's all. It's unrelated to the episode and just in general. Nice. Me
1: too. Me too. I'm happy to continue to unpack and kind of just you know, get back to routine. I feel like I haven't had a, a steady routine in a while, so it'll be good.
0: Yes, I agree. So
1: this wasn't a this wasn't a particularly thirsty episode for me. Was it a? Did you have anything for the thirst cruncher this week? Um,
0: no. <laughs> I was thirsty me for either. some of that drug. I guess. No, I'm just. I will say that the the, the styling of the gem hadar and like this is not related to a thirst quencher at all. It just made me think of this um, and how it's like it almost reminds me of like Lynch's Dune, how there's like pipes, like like I don't know, plastic, like
1: yeah, shit. The, like it, it kind of it reminds like the, me of the, the Baron a little bit,
0: like <laughs> oh,
1: okay, but, okay, yeah, Well, yeah.
0: although that's a little more squirty. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I and I think we've been talking, like again, we've named two other Star Trek episodes in our discussion of the A plot, so I think we would have the most the most uh um the same blah 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 bee, blah bee, blah 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 that's all folks. We'd have the same I think we'd have the same nominee for most Star Trek thing is it's the classic Star Trek ethical dilemma.
0: Yes, I would completely agree. And it's really funny because JM Dillard, who actually wrote the emissary novelization that I was talking about earlier, has a book, Star Trek, Where No One Has Gone Before. And she commented that this episode represents the very best of Star Trek tradition, for it compels us to look upon our enemies with insight and compassion, realizing that they are much more than a faceless evil. And I really think that that is... It's the most Star Trek thing of the episode, for sure.
1: Until next time, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? Yes,
0: you can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd and Storygraph at chicken double underscore tendy. That's T E N D I.
1: <laughs> and you? You can find me in, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at matttyhu, M A T T Y H U G H. You can catch us together on Twitter and Instagram at podrace. You can email us at podrace at gmail.com.
0: Please remember to rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. Thank you to our editor, Melissa, and DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song.
1: Until next time, computer and program.
0: Bye.